Have you guys been enjoying the last few weeks of this Unseen series? Yeah, it's been good, huh? Yeah. I think our pastors have just been doing an, a terrific job of just like walking us through the truths uh, so that we can figure out like God's plan for our lives. So I thought that we would just jump straight into uh, our message uh, and get plugged in. Ephesians 6, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, right? This is, this is what it looks like to put on the armor of God. Last week, Pastor Kevin, he reminded us about the wiles of the devil. Do you guys remember that word, the wiles of the devil? I thought that was pretty good. It, he talks about the, the descriptive language of Satan, how he, he seeks, how he prowls, how he is like a lion, seeking someone to devour, right? We're also reminded about some of us uh, we have gotten scars if we have uh, walked away from the truth or we have deviated from that truth. Pastor Shane talked about Pilgrim and he later became Christian as he was walking down that path and Pastor Kevin was saying, you know, there's lions on each side, but if you go to the left or to the right, man, they're gonna get you. And so I don't know about you guys, but I've had some scars before in my life. Does anybody can relate with me with that? We've had some scars before. We've gotten off of the truth. And so hopefully this morning, we can get back onto the truth and we can get back into our relationship with Christ because even though we stray away, this doesn't mean that we have abandoned our faith. Some of us have gone through some stuff and man, we just kind of lose sight of things, uh, which brings us to our first point is the enemy distorts your belief system. You can write that down. The enemy distorts your belief system. We get tempted and it's a subtle temptation. It's a subtle shift in the way that we think. Much like in Genesis 3 when, when the serpent deceived Eve. Did God really say? Look at how he deceived her. And look at how he even tried to deceive Jesus right after he got baptized and he was led into the wilderness. Right? He tried to use the very scriptures against Jesus himself. The enemy will distort our belief system. And our belief systems will start to seem less and less true the more that we deviate off of that path. Think about those mirrors at the Fresno Ferry. Anybody know about the, you know, the tall mirrors that makes your head go and it's all big or makes your arms look big. You're like, this is the one I need in the gym, right? Or for those of us, us guys who skip leg day, right? We're all big up top, but then we're all, you know, down at the, at the bottom of our base. Yeah, we got chicken legs. That's what Satan does to us. It's a subtle shift in the way that we think and, and his aim is to distort our belief system. Did God really say, is this really what you should do? Right? I, I feel like I hear most often, you're doing too much for the Lord. You're taking it too far. You're, you're going to the far extreme. But scripture says in John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. It says, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. We were reminded here of the devil's origins and what defines him. We can be certain of this. 2 Corinthians 11:3 3 says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, remember Genesis 3 right there, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is how he gets us. It's a subtle shift in the way that we think. The apostle Paul was aware of Satan's schemes when he was sharing this with the church in Corinth. And this, the same 
is to be true for us here at North Point in 2022. The serpent will deceive us and lead us away from God. Our thoughts can be led away from a pure devotion to Christ. This is why it's so, so important to stay plugged into God's word and to stay plugged into your church community. These are the tools that God has given us because we are called to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. The normal And he starts to manipulate things because on our own, we are no match, right? We, we are no match. And that's a shot to me though, because I feel like sometimes I'm like, I want to go punch the Lord or I want to punch Satan. But it's like, man, like Pastor Shane reminded me that it's like, hey, you don't have to do that. The offensive battle was won by Jesus. So if you've fallen into temptation and you have some scars because you've gotten off of the truth, there's a way out. There's a way out. One of the ways to stand firm against the devil is through repentance, write that in through repentance what is repentance when we come in agreement with what the Lord with what we were doing wasn't right that we have veered off of the path and that we need to come back Lord what I was doing was wrong what I was doing was wrong I admit that it wasn't right this is how our belief system it comes back into focus and it comes out of distortion we get out of our own head and we get back into the truth, and all of a sudden we get out of distortion and we start seeing clearly again. We stop hearing that main whisper, did God really say? Did God really say? So if you're still breathing, and you're struggling, and you feel like you're in the hole, and you feel like probably more than scars, I'm still being mangled by that enemy, there's still grace to come back. And in this moment, you can just say, Lord, I, I admit what I was doing was wrong and I'm coming back to the truth. Lord, thank you for your grace. This still rings true in my life as a follower of Jesus. This is a daily, daily thing. Repentance should be something that is marked by the life of a believer, no matter where we're at in our journey and our relationship with Christ. We should always have repentant hearts. We should continually be turning to the Lord. We shouldn't think that we hit this spot where we don't need this anymore where we think that, that we don't need humility anymore in our lives before the Lord because we've got this, because we have essentially bolstered ourselves in pride, right? This is a dagger to the pride and the ego because us as Christians, when we start feeling like we've got some traction in our lives, we start feeling like we can do this. And apart from God, we can do no thing. We can do no thing, but that's the first step. So let's talk some of the strategies of Satan. You can write this in, he, he attacks us, he gets us through accusations and temptations. You can fill that in, accusations and temptations. To talk on these matters though, we must be spending time with the Lord in daily meditation, daily, daily humility, daily repentance, daily coming before God. Right? What, what is meditation? When we think of meditation, uh, we think of this like Eastern theology type thing where it's like we've got to light like our nagchampa and our incense and we've got to come before the Lord and like, mm, right? Like that is not the idea of a daily meditation with God for us. We can come to God and we just silent ourselves. We open up our word. We have times of worship. We have times of prayer. We have times where we just sit still, right? I know for me, it's so hard to just sit still. It's so hard to just be quiet before the Lord. I've heard this often is that my prayers shouldn't always just be my audible voice talking. 
I should reflect on a passage and just ask God, would you speak to me and just be quiet. Give God room in your hearts. Give God room in your lives so that he could speak. This is how we guard ourselves against accusations and temptations that enter into our lives. But today, if you hear this and it kind of makes your tummy turn and you kind of feel like it's tugging on your heart and you're like, I, I don't have that. Don't let that be a club that, that shame just beats over your head, that guilt just beats over your head. Well, I don't do this, so therefore I should just leave. Lean into it. Lean into that and say, yes, Lord, because that's that, that's that repentance that God is asking. Would you turn back from that and say, Lord, I need to get into this. I need to investigate what it is to have a relationship with you. We must not think that the devil's schemes are simple in nature. He's not, he's not like the cartoon devil that we think of. He's not like that. This is what we've said time and time again. He's been crafty for a very, very, very long time. He had the guts to twist God's very word against Jesus himself. He must have been inside of this. He must have been researching. He must have been studying. So we mustn't fool ourselves if we think that we can battle him and stand firm if we're not inside the word of God ourselves. We can't. We can't. We cannot be fooled. And that is one of the biggest schemes that he will use against us. You, th you don't think Satan's not inside of this thing? You don't really think God said this, right? Right, if, if you are who you say you are, throw yourself down and the angels will pick you up. I will give you all of this if you only bow down and worship me. He was twisting the words. Psalm 25, five though says, guide me by your fidelity and teach me. For you are God my savior. For you I wait all the day long. I love the New American Bible translation of this psalm because it uses the word fidelity. Fidelity is a word of closeness. It's a word often used in marriage to show intimate faithfulness to our spouses. Guide me by your fidelity. This is the closeness that the Lord wishes that we would have. If you're walking in that, isn't that the joy of the Lord? No matter what may come, I have this strength. I have this peace that surpasses all understanding. For those of us who aren't, man, let's lean into that. Let's understand what that closeness that God is asking that we would have. The word fidelity, it's closeness. It's a strong use of language in the scriptures, but this is the closeness that the Lord is asking to lead us with. He wants to guide us in closeness and in truth. He wants to guide us through a relationship with the Lord Jesus. But if we're not inside of our Bibles, if we're not standing firm, if we're not holding up, then we're no match. Scripture says in Ephesians 6:11, put on the full armor of God. I'm sure that we have heard this like 800 times, right, in the last three weeks. Put on the full armor of God, and we will not stop saying it, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Underline that word schemes, the schemes of the devil. See, Pastor Shaney mentioned in weeks one and two, the word schemes translated into Greek is where we get our word method or methodia is what, is what he was talking about the schemes of the devil, his methods, his strategies that he uses against us. Make no mistake, Satan, he plays long ball with us as in the lives of believers. Satan plays long ball with every single one of us here. Because if he was to come up like right in front of us and throw some type of bait or some type of, of like blatant, oh, this doesn't feel right, right? Because when we're walking with God, we're, we're, we're like pretty aware sometimes 
of the steps in front of us, right? I know I need to go to church. I know I need to do these things. I know I need to, you know, I know I need to dot, dot, dot. But see, Satan, he plays subtle, subtle, subtle long ball with us. Maybe it's not that right now in the moment, I can't get, I can't get you to fall, but I'm gonna get you to hold a silent, silent, small resentment against that, that certain somebody in your life. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your children, maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's the people that you're, that you're with here at church. And I'm gonna just start to kind of feed that over time and over time and over time and over time. One comment after another after another. I will soon begin to get you right where I want you. He plays long ball with every single one of us to quietly lock us in this prison cell of our own design. Because why are we gonna willingly walk into a prison cell when we, when we want freedom? But inside of that very fallen nature that we all struggle with, he will lure us in through money, through sex, through power, through emotions, through status. Sometimes our prison cells look like the cars we're driving in and the houses that we walk into and our circles of life that we have and the, the amount of followers and the amount of influence we have. When Jesus hasn't really, I mean, in and of himself, those things may not be inherently bad, but when those things take the place of Christ and they are on the throne and we have essentially stepped God off of that rightful position in our hearts, we start to design this prison cell and we give the keys of freedom away and we're led astray. This is how Satan works in our lives. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to have money. Money is a great tool, but it is a poor, poor God, right? God can give us influence and, and, and prestige to go out and lead, but when we take that and it goes to our head, and our head is 800 times the size of our body, and it's those very things that are, that are driving us, man, then all of a sudden we've made an idol out of something. When Jesus himself deserves to be on the throne of our lives, we start to feel like we can do it on our own. I know personally, man, if I have a big dollar amount in my bank account, all of a sudden I'm like, hey, I got this. I can get through life. Well, I know that I'm, I know that's not good for me. I start to feel self-sufficient. When I have someone bolster me in my pride, all of a sudden I start to become self-sufficient. I do have this. And I don't have anything apart from Jesus Christ. I have nothing. And that's the case for all of us. Charles Spurgeon says, self-sufficiency is Satan's net where he catches men like poor, silly fish and he destroys them. Self-sufficiency. It happens to us and it's subtle. It's really, really subtle. What does self-sufficiency look like? Anybody ever use the word, uh, I'm fine? <laughs> or I've got this? Especially in today's culture. It's here, pull yourself up by your bootstraps type mentality. I've got this. I've got it figured out. I'll get myself through it. I'm too far in now to confess where I'm really at. Culture glorifies this status. I, I guess I see it in women, but I can speak on behalf of a man, as a man. Oh, this infects my whole entire life. As a filthy sinner, this infects my whole entire life. You don't think that we don't hear those things enter into our hearts, and if we're honest for just but a moment, we can probably all agree that we've felt this. I don't wanna share how I'm really doing. 
It goes against everything inside of our hearts. That is our fallen nature. But praise be to God that he took that from us when he went to the cross through his son Jesus. Culture glorifies this. Don't believe me? Look at how it invades our Christian circles here at church. You've been walking with the Lord for a few years. You've been walking with the Lord for a few weeks. I don't care how long it is. And at one point when you come in, I'll speak on my own experience. I was like, man, I'm an open book. I'm, a, I'm, I'm terrible, right? Because I just want help. I just need help to stop the hemorrhaging that I'm feeling in my life. But, but all of a sudden, a few months, a few years go by. And it's like, all of a sudden, I don't want to share that same way that I used to share when I first came in. It starts to invade our lives. And it's a subtle, subtle shift. It's the methodia, it's the long ball that Satan plays in our lives. Anybody struggling with any hard sin in their life? There's like five, six, seven, right? The rest of us don't want to admit it. You see what I'm saying? Man, this should be the place where it's like, I am struggling with so many things right now. And I'm not saying like, as Christians, we should be growing. Sanctification, right? It should be taking place in our lives as believers. But we're not to think that we at any point have got this on our own because then we're being lulled back to sleep into that, that isolation, into that prison cell. This should be a place where it's, it's okay to just say, I've got some things going on in my life and as a believer, I would appreciate if you would pray for me. I would appreciate that because I'm feeling this way right now and I don't wanna be alone. I don't wanna be alone. So we know the devil will use accusation and temptation and he will play long ball with us. This is what we've been studying for the past few weeks, that self-sufficiency. Let's talk two more ways that he'll attack you and I, through tempting you to take sin too lightly. Through tempting you to take sin too lightly, you could fill that in. It's the one-two punch. It's the one-two punch. It's, it's the long ball that Satan plays. I know that we've all felt this. When we are faced with a struggle, when we are faced with a temptation. You ever notice like as you're getting ready to, to, to walk into something or you feel that temptation, you, you hear that voice that says, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that serious. Did God really say that? Did he really? You can always get out of it. Here's one that I hear as a believer. You can always ask for forgiveness later. Right? All of a sudden, that lie is validating the way I feel and, and, and I'm led astray because I feel, the, I feel what my head is lying, my heart is, it's, it's deceitful and the accusations are coming into agreement with it and I'm led astray from the ways of wisdom. Sort of like that Pink Floyd song, Comfortably Numb. Have you become comfortably numb in some things that you're struggling with? <clears throat> There's this story about the prince and the dragon. A prince was... He was a, of a family line of nobility and they would fight and they'd wage war against this dragon. But he was told to explicitly not go out and ride the dragon. And what did he do? He rode that dragon. And he thought that he could do it on his own and he thought that at any point he would be able to walk away from it. At any given point, I can get out of it. I can always get out of it. This is what happens to you and I. But after time, after riding the dragon, after saddling up, he began to grow scales down his legs. He began to grow scales on his hands. Before you know it, he was led away by desire. This is how Satan works in our lives. And oftentimes when we succumb to that temptation, 
when we succumb to that thought and we are led astray, the last place that we wanna be is back inside of God's very presence because all of a sudden, here's the one-two punch. I can't believe you just did that. This was the same voice that was just telling me that it was okay just a minute ago. This is what happens. This is exactly what happens. Anyone ever feel this way? I know I have. I know that this is how Satan works in our lives. He is seeking to lead us astray, his schemes of the devil, but we can stand firm. This is one of the lies that Satan will whisper into your mind. So friends, I don't know if you have some type of thing that you're struggling with right now, and you're hearing that validating voice that's going against something inside of you that you're like, I know that this is true, and I know I should be doing something differently. Push against that thought. Share that with someone inside of your circle. Get honest, get open. A.W. Tozer says, it is no secret that the devil hates our joy in the Lord and he'll strive with all of his power to rob us of this holy delight. Nothing, nothing bothers the devil more than a Christian delighting in God's presence. Nothing, nothing bothers him more than a Christian delighting in God's presence. Right? He knows that he can't, he knows that he can't dethrone God. He knows that. But guess what? He's gonna go after his heart. And who is his heart? Every last one of us. God made everything that we see. But we are his most prized possession. So like any accuser, like any enemy, if he can't get the person he wants, he's gonna go after the things that he loves. Satan would love nothing more than to disrupt our relationship with the Lord, to take away the joy of the Lord because he knows that it is our strength, as scripture says. The second way that he'll attack us is through thoughtful, well-laid-out accusations. Through thoughtful, well-laid-out accusations. The word Satan, it means prosecutor. I don't know if you guys knew that. You could write that in. The word Satan means prosecutor. You read that on the side of your notes. You start to hear his origins. You start to hear his names and these things that they mean. He's the father of all lies. He's the deceiver. The word Satan means prosecutor. And after we give in to that temptation, man, there comes the prosecution that we start to hear. You, a Christian, you of all people, this is how he invades our church circles right here, our, our community. You better not confess that. You will surely be judged. You will surely be judged. I know I have heard that accusation, and it's subtle. And so then I kind of try and stuff it and stuff it and stuff it when God has called me to open myself up. All of a sudden we start to isolate ourselves and we start to put ourselves up on a pedestal. You should just walk away, you piece of garbage. This is, this is what I hear. I don't know if you guys can level with me at all. I don't know if anybody online or anybody uh, at Kerman or at our Bullard campus can relate. This is, how we, this is how we fall into this. Remember he's an accuser. Scripture says that he is the father of all lies. Revelation 12.10, though, says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren, our accuser, we have a mutual accuser here at North Point Church, the accuser of the brethren, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Pretty strong language, right? Kind of like A.W. Tozer was saying, Satan accuses us because he knows the Lord's righteous character. Remember, he studies this word. 
He knows this word. And I know that oftentimes when I start struggling, this thing begins to feel like a cinder block in my life because I don't wanna pick it up because I start hearing those voices and those accusations and that, that thinking, that critical thinking that goes on in my mind that says, you, you should probably just stay away from that right now. When Jesus has said, man, I know everything that you have done in your life and I welcome and invite you in all the more. This is why I went to the cross. He knows, Satan knows human sin disrupts our fellowship with God. And if Satan cannot prevent a person from being saved, because salvation happens but in a moment, when we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we are saved in the twinkling of an eye. We know this to be certain and nothing can separate us from that salvation. But he knows that if he cannot prevent that, he wants to steal the joy that we have of walking with the Lord. Because if he can get a Christian bogged down, if he can get a Christian so wrapped up in their own thinking, then what effectiveness are we? We don't have the joy of the Lord walking with us. We don't wanna share. We don't wanna hear people because we're just constantly rehearsing and replaying the thoughts that go through our head. How's he accuse you? You can write these in. He accuses of us through our past, through our past. I know you're in the church now, but boy, if someone just digs up a little bit of you, you wanna serve on the coffee team? What if someone finds out about you, about what you did back then, about who you really were? Let him know that, huh? He'll accuse you of your regrets. You can write that in, he'll accuse you of your regrets. He'll accuse you of your shortcomings. You can write that in as well. Man, you missed the mark at this point. You missed the mark over here too. Why do you wanna step up and serve God anyways? Sit down. This is what he does to us. This is how he accuses us. So with all of that heavy, it feels sometimes like it's a big old wet blanket that sits on our lives as believers, right? Sometimes we feel like we're stuck in this perpetual cycle of sin and we feel like we can never get out of it. And we start to distance ourselves from the word of God, from the truth and from this community of people. And we're alone. Much like Pastor Kevin was saying, that lion, boy, he waits for that one believer that's alone. Satan, he, he prowls like a lion seeking someone to devour. If I am held up in a net by a bunch of guys who love me, by a bunch of guys who know my sin, who see me, who love me, who remind me of God's truth, well then when that voice of accusation comes in, guess what? That partner who is holding me up, he may just be doing pretty good right now and he's gonna be like, hey Will, man, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. All you need to offer to God is your broken and contrite heart and he's not gonna turn that away. All of a sudden, I'm like, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. Man, when I am feeling anxious, someone's gonna tell me, boy, the scriptures remind us to not be anxious about anything, but through prayer and supplication to present our request and make them known to God and the, and, the, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding is gonna guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Well, I didn't think about that. You don't think that Satan wants to take you away from that? So that all you hear is, you're a failure, you're lousy, you're less than, you're second class. Because he knows when we are held together by the body of believers and the word of God, he can't get us, we're like a pack. 
So how do you see through the accusations? How do you see through the accusations? Let's look at how scripture tells us to stand firm. Understanding that Jesus is the perpetual offering for our sins, past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. God went to the cross through his son Jesus for us, knowing of the things that we were gonna do, knowing of our shortcomings. He went anyways for the joy set before him. Jesus endured the cross. This was the absolute death blow to Satan. This was the absolute death blow to accusations and lies and slander and prosecutions that Satan will throw at us. This was the absolute death blow, knowing that Jesus went to the cross for you and I. How do we know this to be certain though? Because if if I'm telling you something, I I would only ask that you would examine it through the word of God and, and find it to be true in here. On my own, I have no good things to say. On my own, I have no good things to say. Everything we look to as truth is found inside of God's holy word. So how do we know that Jesus offering himself was the perpetual death blow to Satan? How do we know that? Colossians 2.15 says, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He disarmed them. He took away the weapons that they have and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He made a public spectacle of our adversary. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, the very things that we wage war against. Freedom from Satan's wicked schemes to destroy you, it was obtained for you on the hill of Calvary by our Lord Jesus. He's our champion, he's our pioneer, he's the perfecter of our faith. He disarmed those things. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Isaiah 53, five says, but he, meaning Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought you and I peace, it was on him. When Jesus was on the cross, it was not only the agonizing pain that he felt, but it was the weight of all of our sins both past, both present, and both future that laid on him. That's a pain we know nothing about. We think about the the often physical pain that Jesus endured. We think about the crown of thorns that was laid on his head. We think about the the, the beating, the whipping, the spitting, the mocking, all of those things. I, I can only imagine. But also the weight of our sin was laid on him. The punishment that brought you and I peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. We are delivered from the accusations and temptations of the enemy. All we need to do is trust in his voice, place our faith in him. Psalm 23, one through three, King David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Underline that the Lord is my shepherd. Possessive language, he is mine. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for his glory. Do you let the Lord lead you? Is the Lord your shepherd? King David, he was anointed a king and then shoved back out into the wilderness. Man, he ran forever from Saul. You don't think that he heard the accusations and the temptations? Why are you trying to follow the Lord? 
Man, he had the opportunity to end King Saul's life, cut a piece of his robe off and was like, man, I could have got you, but the Lord is my shepherd. I'm gonna honor and respect you. Do you let the Lord lead you? What's it look like to let the Lord lead us? What does it look like to say the Lord is my shepherd? What is a shepherd? A shepherd is someone who watches after a pasture of sheep, someone who takes care of them, someone who knows them intimately, someone whose voice raises the ear of a sheep. When you're going through accusations, when you're going through troubles, what does it look like to let the Lord lead you? For me, friends, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I can't see clearly right now. I can't see but a thing. I'm just gonna keep saying the name Jesus over and over again. I know you're gonna bring me through this. I know you're gonna bring me through this. This is how we call on the Lord. And he knows our voice and we know his when we're in communion with him. Is the Lord your shepherd? Sometimes when I'm going through struggles, friends, I I don't have any eloquent speech to say. I don't have anything fancy. I don't have any good words. I don't have any things that are gonna land up on on a Twitter account as a tweet that's gonna go viral. All I can say is Jesus, 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 Jesus. This is all we need to say. This is all we need. This is our strength. We don't need anything else. Everything else, are, they're, they're good things. Matthew six thirty three says, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What's holding you back from letting the Lord be your shepherd? What's holding you back? Is it something that you don't wanna let go of? Is it a way of life that you don't wanna exit out of? Is it a stronghold that's in your life that's holding you down? Because to come out into the light is to come out into humility. To come out into humility is to allow the Lord to be our shepherd, to be our everything and to guide us and to lead us. By fidelity, the word says in Psalm 25, five. Remember, if the Lord is our shepherd, and scripture says that we shall not want Satan, And his kingdom of darkness is on the defensive. This is how we wrap up this Unseen series is we want to proclaim the truth. We don't wanna lay the heavy blanket and say, well, it's just a lot of tough stuff going on because it is. It is a hard life that we walk through. Jesus did say that. He said, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart for I have overcome the world. But know that if the Lord is our shepherd, Satan is on the defensive and he doesn't want us to know that because we're walking in truth, because we hear the voice of God, and I know sometimes it can feel very, 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 very passive to be a Christian. You get hit, turn the other cheek. You get hit, turn the other cheek. Give, give, give. You get hit, turn the other cheek. Pray, 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 pray. Sometimes it can feel like, and this is the temptation that I have my hands behind my back and I'm on my knees, and 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 I'm not doing anything, but, but that is the whole point we don't do anything on our own. I was walking with a brother, his name's Mark Woods, and, and I told him I shout him out because I love him, and this guy speaks so much truth into my life. We were walking through the campus here at North Point, and he goes, how are you feeling, Will? And I'm like, man, I feel like I want to punch the devil right in the face, just square right in the face, man. Like, I'm feeling good right now. Anybody ever feel that way? You're like, woo, I feel like I got this. I'm gonna kick the devil. You're like, boom. My wife, Megan, and I, our daughter, she'll say, I'm gonna 
I'm gonna stab the devil. And we're like, whoa, whoa, dude. I mean, like that is some, like, I want that in my life. But she's like, I'm gonna get him, dad. I'm gonna get him, mom. We're like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. That's cool. But remember, sorry, I got my words mixed up earlier. Forgive me. That's what Satan wants us to think is that, yeah, you come and get me. You come and punch me on your own strength. You come and try and disarm me on your own strength. Pastor Shane said it. The offensive battle was already won. Colossians 2.15 said it. He disarmed the, the spiritual rulers and authorities. He made a public spectacle on them. You don't have to go and punch the devil in the face. I don't have to. I'm, I'm punching the air. I'm chasing rabbits. I've deviated off of the truth. I've, I start thinking I've got this and I bolster myself in pride. The offensive battle was won by Jesus when he went to the cross. All we need to do as Ephesians 6 was saying is stand firm. And after you've done everything, then stand firm. Stand firm. That's all we need to do. Stand firm. Stand firm. Matthew 16, 13 through 17 says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? This is what Jesus is asking us. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of Hades are on the defensive. Verse 18, Jesus is using strong language and saying that the gates of Hades will not be overcome. The defeat of hell is imminent. Overwhelming victory is ours in our champion Christ Jesus. We're not holed up in some bunker waiting for the dark day to pass. Romans 8:37 says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. Gates are only meant to keep things out. Michael Heiser says this, gates, they're defensive structures, not offensive weapons. The kingdom of God is the aggressor. It is the gates of hell that are under assault and they will not hold up against the church. Hell will one day be Satan's tomb. Gates are defensive structures merely meant to keep things from coming in. The gates of hell will not prevail. The kingdom of God is on the move, friends. We're not, we are not unaware of the devil's wiles or his schemes. We've heard for the past three weeks about standing firm and this is how we stand. We stand on the one who made us clean and who makes us clean, both past, present, and future. No matter your struggle, no matter the thing that you're dealing with today online or on any of our campuses at Bullard or Kerman, no matter what you're struggling with, if we are breathing and alive, there is a chance to be made right with God through repentance and coming back to him. Second Peter 2, 6, 4, it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever, Whoever is filling any one of these chairs is online at Kerman Bullard. I don't care wherever you are, the whoever's. We are the whoever's. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. We will not be put to shame. We will not. We are, unaware. We are not made unaware. God has given us the revelation of truth through his word. We're getting ready to take communion as a church family, friends, as we close out our message series. Everyone should have an element by them. Whatever campus you're on, wherever you're at. Friends, if you have scars because you've walked away, you've strayed away, you have been lured away by the methods or the schemes of the enemy, 
feel like you're beat down, take courage in the next few moments as we lean in to the gracious arms of our loving Father. I heard this comment. You don't need to bring to God what you think he wishes was in your heart. You don't need to polish your prayers or your thoughts. You can actually bring to God what is in there. Hurting, frustrated, discouraged, falling apart, sinking in shame. He's big enough to handle it and to heal it. If there's breath in your lungs, there is hope for a better tomorrow. So if this, if this is new to you, if you're like, what are these things? I'm ready to place my faith in Jesus. This is the remembrance that we, that we look to from what Jesus did for us, our champion, our pioneer. As Colossians 2, 15 was saying, how he disarmed spiritual authorities. Or if you've been walking with the Lord for any, any time, I don't care how long it is, we're gonna remember communion together as a church family. Let us examine our hearts through prayer. This is what we're called to do before we take communion. If you wanna take part in this with us, please do. If you're new to the faith and you're like, I want more of this, please lean in. If your heart is hard or you feel ashamed, please lean in. I don't care where you're at, please lean in. If God is tapping you, answer. Let's examine our hearts through prayer. Would everybody repeat after me this prayer as we look to the Lord? For anybody who's struggling, would we, would we bolster them and, and hold them up and highlight them? And would we say this out loud? Let's pray this prayer out loud. Jesus, thank you I can come to you no matter how I'm doing. I want to invite you into my heart. Be my Lord, be my Savior, be my everything. I believe you are God's Son and my Savior. I believe you went to the cross and died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead and are now seated at the right hand of God. With all power and authority, I repent for the times I have put other people, places, or things before you. Would you please clean my heart and renew a right spirit within me? Please draw near to me, God. I love you. Thank you for loving me before I knew what love was. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.